Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today, or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to the new Jesus. Uh, we've been walking from uh, what I kind of believe is step one, Christianity or follower of Jesus, kind of uh, I'm a disciple 101, to advanced calculus physics or molecular biology or quantum mechanics kind of spirituality. Uh, and and I, I totally acknowledge saying that greatly overvalues my knowledge and wisdom on this. So I'm not at all saying uh, that advanced quantum mechanics spirituality is me or something I've figured out or whatever. I don't believe that. I believe um, uh, my spiritual mentor for 30 plus years taught me a lot of this. Uh, I've consulted with other people, a number of scholars, I've researched a lot myself, okay? But uh, this is not anything about how good I am or knowledgeable I am or, or a, a teacher. I, I do not consider myself a good speaker. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is teach, but I know I'm not a good teacher. Um, I don't follow the rules, okay? Sorry about that. But, um, I, I wanted to say that before this teaching today especially. Uh, you've heard me say several times, you have the right and I ask you to challenge anything and everything I say. Don't believe anything just because I say it. I'm wrong all the time. I'm wrong more than anybody I know, okay? But take what I say as a starting point, as, as a place to start your meditation or your prayer or your research on your own to come to your own belief. Because even if I'm right about everything, and I, I'm sure I'm not, even if I was, you have to go on your own journey in order to own it. Own that truth where it becomes powerful in you and allows you to do whatever you need to do and have your 
best life. With you just accepting it from me, you've not gone on the journey. You've not found it for yourself. You're just trusting that I'm right. Well, that's a very dangerous thing because I'm wrong all the time and I ask you not to do it, uh, to search it out for yourself, okay? Um, I also want to make it clear that I am 100% for church, all right? 100%. If you get the impression I'm against that, you've missed me, okay? Albert Einstein said at one point in his life, because a number of people were saying he was an atheist, he didn't believe in God, and there's a very famous quote by him that says, anyone who says I don't believe in God doesn't understand uh, me and what I do believe and teach. They are misunderstanding something, okay? Well, that would be the case here too. If you come away with the impression that I'm against church, I'm 100% for church. I just want to do church the most effective way, whatever that is. God's way for 2021, not the Roman Catholic uh, Pope or Constantine or somebody you know, thousands of years ago, deciding it not on the basis of what God wants or God's will or any of that, but on the basis of power, money, control for Rome, the Roman government, the Roman church, all of that, okay? So let's make sure that we're doing church the best way. And the best way could be different in different locations, at different time periods. That's what the whole new wineskins thing is all about. Okay, so let's take a look at the board to start with. Um, again, this is uh, Dr. David Peck, our clinical director at my company. Uh, he is a double board certified uh, surgeon in New York City at Columbia University, Ivy League uh, type situation. Went to an Ivy League undergraduate, uh, is board certified in critical care surgery and general surgery, has written over 50 clinical papers that have been published in peer-reviewed journals, has four United States patents in the area of health, okay? And so he is on board with us. He is um, uh, about as high as you can get in standard medicine, and yet he believes that what we are doing is the best possibility for healing illness and disease at the source, as well as your emotions and other things. And I'm sure if you continue to have much contact with us, uh, you'll hear that from him personally. He's already said that multiple times since he came on board, okay? So that's who this is. And the way our relationship with him started was these three signs, that protest signs, that he put up in his yard. Stop self-hatred, stop systemic rejection and racism, and all lies matter. And so we're, we're starting a movement, a protest movement, to heal these three things in people's lives. Self-hatred, rejection, and internal lies that are spiking our stress and keeping us from our best life. We've talked about how um, uh, water is the, is, the, is the best carrier of information that we know of on planet Earth. Water is sort of like a thumb drive. 
and it'll carry, it'll hold a lot of information and it'll carry and retain that information for long periods of time, even decades. And so this is research by Dr. Emoto who just took water and then spoke, sounds crazy I know, but spoke into the water. This one that looks like the beautiful snowflake, he spoke uh, love, encouragement, uh, joy, peace, things like that. And um, it's interesting because there's hundreds of these. What he did is he would speak into the water, then freeze the water, then slice off a tiny little sliver, put it under a microscope, and take a picture of it. Okay? So there's hundreds he did with the positive and hundreds that he did with the negative. So don't think it's just these two. And every one he did that I'm aware of, published in his book, a big best-selling book, um, was consistent. When something negative was spoken into the water, this is what uh, the type of thing that um, you saw under the microscope. When positive was spoken, this is the type of thing you saw under the microscope. Okay? Uh, how is that possible? That the word love spoken changes the water molecules in a wonderful, positive, healing even, way and speaking the word hate anger criticism changes the molecular structure of the water to a very negative molecular structure that that is poor health or could even damage your health or result in a disease gene manifesting that sort of thing this is one i did on my own that's kind of similar to this i did it with roses put cut the roses off, put them in water, and then spoke into the water uh, my best, happiest memory, and then in the other one, my worst, most painful memory. And this is what, that, uh, this one looked like it hardly aged at all. This one, I've never seen another rose like that, okay? Uh, it's got big black blotches on it. It's slimy, okay? It's, it's really gross. And that was 60 seconds. The difference in these was 60 seconds. Here, 60 seconds thinking about a happy memory. Here, 60 seconds thinking about a negative memory. But it's just 60 seconds. Imagine what four hours would do. And the latest research says we tend to be in stress for four or more hours every single day, the average one of us. Well, what is stress? That's the fear response. Well, what comes from fear? Hate, anger, criticism, etc. And by the way, this wasn't original with me. I got this from someone who did it with strawberries. And then the last time I was in Asia uh, lecturing, someone brought rice, white rice, that they had done this with. And the results were the same in both experiments. The, the white rice spoken positively, was still white with maybe a little brown around the edges. I've got a picture of it somewhere. The rice that was spoken, hate, anger, etc., was black. And you would and you would think, oh man, I would never eat that. If I ate that, I'd really get sick. The rice with the positive, hey, yeah, looks looks good to eat. It heated up, okay? So anyway, that that that's where these come from. And we've gone over a number of lists in New Jesus. These are sort of, to me, the bookends. The, um, 
these two are um, non-negotiable, maybe, I would say. This first one is the grace state. What defines being in a grace state? Which means you've got the golden ticket, you are saved, okay? Which means all the promises of God apply to you. That he will cause everything to work out for your best. He will never leave you unprotected. He, he will give you health. He will give you healing. He will give you love, joy, peace if you choose that. He will never forsake you, etc. Okay? So that grace state, what are those? What's the requirement there? Number one, right with Jesus and committed to love. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, Bridegroom and High Priest, and I am committed to love in the present moment, regardless of my circumstances, giving up the end result to God as he sees fit, his will be done moment by moment, okay? So that's number one. Number two, an intention only for good in everything you do. Number three, do your absolute best everything you do. And number four, invest and prioritize relationships above everything else, okay? That's, to me, non-negotiable from Scripture, okay? All right, and then this one, the requirements for love. I called it uh, God's rules of life. That may be a little bit too strong, okay? But the rules of this Christian follower of Jesus' spiritual life that we're supposed to be walking. And, and these are the things, in my opinion, that line that high, high road, high road, low road path we've been talking so much about. These are the ones that line the high road. And, and you can't do away with any of them or love will fall. Belief, it all boils down to your beliefs in science and in scripture. You have to have a choice. If you eliminate choice, you eliminate love. There has to be time because belief requires time. You have to go on a search, your own search, by yourself. People can help you, people can give you advice, uh, etc., but you've got to go on the search yourself. I'm not talking necessarily about a physical search where you go somewhere, but a search of your heart and spirituality and who you are and why you do what you do and why you can't do what you want to do more of the time, why you can't seem to get to your best life. There's almost like a glass ceiling here, okay, that sort of thing. The truth will make you free because it will point the way to love every single time. Falsehood will point the way to um, fear. Justice. You have to have justice and love. For, or for there to be love, you have to have justice. God is a God of justice. If we were uh, shipwrecked or had an airplane crash and stranded on a desert island, one of the very first things we would do is set up a system of justice. We have never discovered a civilization, and we discovered a new one a few years ago in one of the rainforests where they were still running around in tiny little, you know, uh, animal skin, um, bathing suit almost sort of thing, 
with nothing else, hunting with bows and arrows and spears. We found another one like that a few years ago. It was big news, and they've been found periodically through the centuries. Well, guess what? They had a system of justice. And every civilization we've ever discovered has two things in common. They worship something, and you got to ask yourself, why? Where did they get that thought and idea? I believe it's built in like a homing device. So they worship something, and number two, they have a system of justice. Okay? Um, we've talked a lot more about that, so if you're still fuzzy, maybe go back and review some. Pain. You have to have pain. Why? Because pain may be God's number one tool to keep you on the high road and for you to keep learning and getting better and better, higher, higher as a person. More and more love, less and less fear. Okay? And then the last one, grace. Okay? Uh, a person who loves someone would always choose grace for the object of their love, not punishment, okay? Which is exactly what God did. He would, that, he would that all come to repentance, and he paid for all, for the sins of all, okay? So that's the board. We're not going to go over it in that much detail every time, but every once in a while, I want you to understand what these are if you happen to be new and it confuses you. Here's our postulate from my son Harry for this week, our condensed essence of what we're talking about. Sooner or later, freedom must submit to a master or ethos to be meaningful. Okay? Just saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, and running around like a robot, and almost like a, a baby again. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to taste this, oh, that's not good, I'm going to taste this, oh, I want more of that. I mean, that's sort of the argument when Paul was first telling them about grace, I believe in Romans, and you can just see they don't understand. They're trying to wrap their head around this, and they can't, and they say, well, if what you're saying is true, should we just sin even more on purpose so that grace will abound? So they were thinking freedom is go do whatever the heck I want, irregardless of what God says is right and not right because I'm free. Well, you know what? That's not freedom at all. Because you're at the end of that, you're, you're going to be lost. You're not going to be on the high road. You're going to be down like a brer rabbit stuck in the thorn bush. Okay? Because freedom has to submit to a master or ethos in order to be meaningful long term. But the measure of that faith is in shaping the inner self around it, not in holding to external dogma. You have to do this, you can't do that. Have to do this, can't do that. Have to do this, can't do it. That's the old law. And, and we already read multiple times how Scripture says the very purpose of the old law was so that sin would abound, so that sin would increase. That was the very purpose of the law, okay? So if you're going to live by the law, it's going to make you mess these up because that's what it does. That's what it's for. That was the purpose, okay?
So, we are free from the law, and the only way we can have our best life is to be free from the law, which is what God intended and paid for from before the foundations of the world. Okay, so let me read it all one more time. Sooner or later, freedom must submit to a master or ethos to be meaningful. But the measure of that faith is in shaping the inner self around it, not in holding to external dogma. We, for some reason, we tend to believe that the external is always the answer to our problem. If we can just change our external circumstances, health, money, travel, sex, food, if we can just manage our externals, entertainment, then we'll be happy. That's a lie. It is not true. It's never been true. Okay? Love, joy, peace, those are the things that make you happy. And those come from being free, but then voluntarily submitting that freedom back to a dependent relationship to God. Uh, David said, I believe, maybe it was Solomon, pierce my ear. And, and, and that was a custom back then. A slave, every so many years, would be released. Well, the slaves that had uh, harsh and unkind masters would leave for sure and go somewhere else. The ones that had kind, loving, caring masters would often, according to historical documents, go to the master once they had been given their freedom and released and say, I am free, but I am choosing to become and be long-term your slave because you are kind, you are loving, you are good to me, you are fair to me, okay? I, I desire to be in relationship where you are over me, protecting me, but also me working for you, etc. Pierce my ear. Make, put, put the ring in my ear that says, I belong to you. Okay? So, for freedom to mean anything, it has to be submitted to an ethos or a master, and that master is love, it's God, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the kingdom, it's the internal spiritual life, not the external. Okay? All right. Let's bring in the board and review for just a second, and I think this is going to be the fastest review I've ever done. Not that that's any big accomplishment, because they've been way too long. Um, go and review last week if you missed it. Uh, basically, we were talking about church. That anything can reactivate one of those memories that all of a sudden we're angry when there's not a reason to. We're afraid when there's not a reason to. We're anxious when we don't have to be. Okay? That a memory is being reactivated when that happens, but it can be any kind of memory. It's not just... Uh, I, I have a memory of being robbed, so if I'm ever robbed, that memory is going to be reactivated. No, the memory of being robbed could reactivate a thousand different situations as I walk through my life, just as we talked about that last week. 
We talked about what Scripture says and doesn't say regarding the church and the kingdom. Uh, never says one time go to church. Fear not 365 times. Love 898 times. Kingdom 57 times in the book of John alone. Uh, Jesus talked about the kingdom 53 times. He mentioned church two times, but in those two times, Jesus never said go to church either. Um, church, in my opinion, tends to be the external community of believers here on earth. The kingdom may be the internal community, heart, and my heart joined to your heart. And maybe even the saints who have gone on before us as far as the kingdom goes. Um, that we've got trillions of dollars in buildings to worship a God who said, I dwell not in temples made with hands. The tithe was a tax, not a gift from the heart as we typically think. Not, it was more governmental and, and there's no evidence of any Christian ever tithing in the New Testament. Okay, but according to the historical documents, the tithe was a tax. And then on, in addition to that, they were to give as they are moved in their heart with joy to help people that need help. But today, the churches, in my opinion, kind of got that upside down, and most churches are preaching tithe, 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 so that they can pay for their buildings and staff and, and all that stuff, okay? Um, when maybe, where is that in here? Um, we'll take a look at that in a minute. Uh, and over here, we, we look at some other things. Uh, don't drink, attendance at church, things like that. And then we went to, what does God say that he does want? Okay? He says he hates wicked imaginations, mischief, lies, troublemakers, uh, what does he want? Justice, love, kindness. Walk with your walk humbly with God. Um, the the entrance exam for heaven. Uh, how were you to strangers? Uh, people who were poor, didn't have clothes, were sick. Those in prison, uh, and keeping a pure heart. Okay, those are the things God says He wants and are required, okay? So, let's take a look at this week, all right? And let's go through kind of what we call church, or at least most people that I knew the way I grew up, you know, that sort of thing, okay? Uh, and what we're talking about, basically, is the church that the Catholic Church was sort of the original seed and root. And then today's church has grown up out of that seed and root of the original Catholic Church, which was way after the Jerusalem Church, okay? Uh, Constantine in 300 and something uh, convenes a council in order to determine what Christianity is, what church is going to be, what's going to be in the Bible, and what's not going to be in the Bible. And this was primarily not based on uh, love of God, uh, love of others, you know, joy, peace, the Holy... 
evidently it was not predicated on that. It was predicated on power, control, and money. And we see even some popes in those years who were some of the most scandalous people we've seen all throughout history. And they were the pope, okay? Uh, at one point, the pope was more of a military leader. Uh, the spiritual, supposedly the spiritual head too, but a military leader that literally went out to kill other people, okay? And that's evolved. I'm not saying that's where it is today, but traditionally, that's the root. That's where, that's the seed. That's where it came from. Not, not the early church, but the Roman Catholic Church started by Constantine for power, money, and control of Rome, of the world, as they were the dominant military force then, okay? Um, about money, controlling the people, power, okay? If you really look at it objectively, and don't take my word for it again, that's what the church the seed and the root of where we are now, that's where it came from, okay? And we talked about last week, about when they did this, they even said, and it was called the Inquisition, if you do not do church our way, we will put you in jail, torture you, kill you, etc. And the numbers range from hundreds of thousands to many millions over the hundreds of years of the Inquisition, and those people tortured and killed in Jesus' name. Oh, wow. Man, when I really understand that, I want to get as far away from that as I can. I mean, that is, that is evil. That, to take something so wonderful and beautiful that Jesus died for, that God did before the foundations of the world, that God did in order to have a loving relationship with us and it being hijacked and turned into this, um, man, that gets my blood up, and I hope it does yours. And this system, of course, was built on love A, which we talked about uh, some last week and then a number of weeks before. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And if you have a certain percentage, then you're a good person, but it seems like no one can reach that percentage, at least in my experience, okay? And if you do something really bad, the people who have the power, control, and money, the Pope, the priests, the government, um, we're going to put a hurting on you for doing that. Anyway, except our way. So, if you did it, if you read scripture and were convicted and convinced, this is God's way, this is what he wants me to do, and you have lived back here in the 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries, 6th centuries, you know, time like that, okay? So, somehow you got hold of the Bible because a lot of them were chained to the pulpit and they didn't want normal people reading them and a lot of the normal people could, didn't know how to read anyway, okay? So they pretty much just took what the priest or bishop or pope or whoever it was said, even though they had no idea whether that was really true or not. But yes, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. If you don't, it's a sin. And if you sin, you're 
bound for hell, and the only hope is for the Catholic priest to give you forgiveness. Even though Scripture says when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two, and now our relationship is not through a mediator like a priest or even a preacher, but to God himself, to Jesus himself as bridegroom and high priest. The mystery of the ages, Jesus and I are one. Through the Holy Spirit indwelling me, the parallel to the most holy place of the temple where that, that curtain was torn in two. And now we have access to God ourselves through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but not through another human being person. But that's not what these people told the members of the churches for hundreds of years, even millennia. They told them, love A, you do this, you don't do that, you do this, you don't do that, and if you do certain ones of these, or too many of these, not only are you probably going to go to hell, we're going to put you in jail, torture you, or kill you. Okay? So, it's just really important, I think, to know where do we come from? The, the stuff that we do on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever that we call church, where did that come from? What's the seed? What's the root? It's this and this, historically. Was that, is that who you're committed to? Are you committed to the Catholic Church? over God? Are you committed to a priest over God? Are you committed to a preacher over God? Okay? I, I would say that's maybe not very wise. Although, completely normal, because it's the way I grew up, too, and went that way. Sheep following sheep over the cliff. Okay? If everybody does it this way, it must be the right way, right? And when I grew up, in church doing pretty much this plan man that's what was taught you 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 don't do it this way you're going to hell you're gonna burn in hell okay so let's take a look this is not anywhere near an exhaustive list okay but it's some of the main ones so we've already looked at a lot of the scriptures let's just go through them quickly now okay and see scriptural or not scriptural. Meaning, does scripture say do this or does it say not do it or it's just not in here at all? Okay? Alright, let's take a look. Go to church. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Means wrong answer. Thanks for playing anyway. Alright? Ding, 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 ding. Means right answer. Yes, it is scriptural. Okay? Alright, so, go to church. Never says that. Not once. Have a building that you have purchased or are renting in order to meet in. Not there. We've spent trillions in buildings to worship God who says, I dwell not in temples made with hands while children are hungry and thirsty and homeless and unsafe all around the world. You go and sit in a pew and basically watch a show. Ah! 
I missed one. Denominations, meaning there's, uh, it's not just the Church of Nashville or the Church of New York or the Church of California, as it seemed to be more in Scripture. It's the Presbyterians, the Church of Christ, the Catholics, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, the, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a thousand different variations, and a lot of them were in the same congregation until they started arguing with each other and couldn't get along, usually about this stuff, the love A stuff, okay? And then they got so mad that one of them went across the street to start another one of that same denomination type right across the street. And then typically they would talk bad about each other from then on. And it's almost like the Hatfield and McCoy feud, the way these things have evolved. And that's changing some now with the community churches and all that. And by the way, I think that's a fabulous uh, change. I, I, I wish every single congregation or building just had one name on it. Uh, and, and we were all united, as Jesus said, when he left the earth. Let them be one as you and I are one. Okay? All right. So, denominations. <clears throat> Not there. One church. Uh, sound system, and that represents all the stuff. Sound system, technology, computers, heating and air, everything, okay? Eh, not there. Paid staff, ooh, this is a sore point, right? Because there are so many people looking at God's church as a career rather than a mission, a calling. Okay? And to me, that's very, very dangerous. Um, over the years, I'm not sure how it's happened, but I've become good friends with the heads of a number of mega churches and a whole bunch of churches that aren't mega churches. Okay? And um, I have to say, there have been times when I've genuinely been shocked when I would go to one of these places to meet with the uh, very often it seemed the owner of the church, the person or couple that started it, and now they control the money, they live in a big house that the church pays for, they drive a new Cadillac Escalade, they have the very latest cool clothes on, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And the first few times that happened, I was genuinely shocked, disillusioned, um, went away there. from there. They were thinking they had built just the greatest thing in the world, but I would go away typically feeling a little sad um, because it seemed like the emphasis was more on the show than it was on love and joy and peace and Jesus. And now that's my interpretation. And, and I'll say I, it's not me to judge that. And, and I hope I haven't judged that. And I also believe 100% that even if a church, even if a congregation has their own name, all the special effects, uh, the paid staff is where all the money goes that people contribute to help people and everything else. I mean, it can, they can be doing almost anything wrong, but there's a, there's a sweet lady or a gentleman in that 
service in that building, maybe a member of that congregation, who they genuinely love God with all their heart and are trying to live that life. Um, my belief is that that individual does not get any demerits or, or big X marks because they're in the congregation that maybe is doing something wrong. No, no. God looks at each individual and the heart. All right? And as I've also said, there's no, there's no example of paid staff. That's a, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. All right? It's up to us. In fact, all of these things, uh, attending, going to a building, denomination, I'm not saying any of those are wrong. I'm saying they're not here. It came from a different seed and root. And that's my point today. Okay? What seed and root are you participating with? And did it come from the Lord and Jesus and the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world? Or is it part of Satan's plan to either um, take away your salvation, but I think much more possibly just steal your joy, steal your peace, steal the best life you could have to just getting by, even though maybe you still are saved. Okay? All right. Let's move on. Um, a great big house for the preacher. <clears throat> Not anywhere. Uh, buying buses and automobiles and uh, big ticket items, a, a video projector that costs $20,000, a sound system. We already talked about that some that costs $50,000, whatever, okay? Uh, not in there. Um, tithe, uh, Old Testament, and it was a tax. Uh, do church as an observer, where you go in and sit like you're watching a show. Uh, it's, it, it appeared to be much more meeting in small groups and homes and having discussions and, um, uh, you know, us talking, not sit there watching a show. Lord's Supper, all my life, little bitty thing of grape juice because it's a mortal sin to, to have a, dr a drop of alcohol touch your lips, even though alcohol and wine is everywhere in Scripture, and we're never told a single time don't drink, we're told don't get drunk. So, the way I grew up, the Lord's Supper was grape juice because alcohol is a sin, even though it never says it's a sin, and then the little wafer that you take a bite of or put on your tongue, well, okay, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to do the Lord's Supper that way, but I am saying you need to know that that's not how they did it in the, in the Jerusalem church. It was a meal. The main reason they got together was for the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Supper was a meal. Okay? And as best we can tell, with wine all around. In fact, uh, one time in Scripture it even says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Someone's got an upset stomach and is told, drink a little wine, it'll help your stomach. Okay? So, uh, ah, you need to place membership. Good night. That was huge growing up. And in almost every elders meeting I was in, they talked about, 
where the ratio was. Are we gaining more new members than we're losing or are we losing more new members than we're gaining? And, and how much is the average contribution per Sunday? And what can we do to increase that? And what can we do to bring in more people so the, we'll have more people giving? And uh, I mean, that's not all they were about, but I would say the elders meetings that I was a part of over about 12 years, full-time full-time ministry I did, okay? Uh, and typically an elders meeting at least once a week at every one of those places. So in 12 years, an elders meeting every week, I mean, I mean, you're looking at six, seven hundred elders meetings. Um, over 90% of the time in those meetings, at least my meetings, this is the main thing that was discussed. Power, control, and money. Not the spiritual needs, the spiritual issues for the church and the individual members, and especially not um, what the entrance exam to heaven talked about. Okay? Uh, I was a stranger and you took me in. Clothes, sick, prison, you know, that sort of stuff, okay? The churches that I was in, when the homeless would come around asking for money or stuff, that was a bummer. We did not want that to happen. And I was, I was even shocked by that, that the preacher was so put off, and this wasn't one preacher, it was at several different occasions and congregations, they were so put off at a hungry person coming in and messing up the routine or what they had scheduled for their day. It was much more of a negative to them than a positive. Well, if, this, if that's what God says is the entrance exam to heaven and what we're going to be judged on, it should be the other way around. That should be the priority. And, uh, you know, the details of your day as a paid minister, you know, should be secondary to helping people that need help. That is not my experience. Um, in the years I grew up, in the years I worked in ministry, or even in the years since then. I think I told you before um, a couple of things. Uh, one, every place I ever did full-time ministry split after I left. Now, they didn't split because I left. One of them did, I think. But the others had nothing to do with me. But every single one of them split Everyone couldn't get along, okay? And, and mainly over these issues and the love A issues, okay? All right, so aside from that, and I added a couple. Ran out of room down here. Um, sing, not hum. <laughs> There's a scripture that says, um, uh, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. The word sing is the word solo. The word solo means to pluck your heartstrings. It, it's an analogy to an instrument. Pluck the strings of the heart to make beautiful music. Beautiful analogy, isn't it? Or, and, and metaphor, okay? But this root and these issues can turn anything good bad, in my opinion. I saw a church split 
over over them over the elders making a mandate that you could not hum that it was a sin to hum because scripture said sing now the word sing doesn't even say sing it's the word solo it means to pluck the strings of the heart well you can pluck the strings of the heart just thinking about a song in your head okay you can pluck the strings of your heart humming all day long. I've done it. But this situation, this church, had a meeting and the elders put their gavel down and there's to be no humming. It's a sin. And if you've been humming, you need... Where in the world did they get that? I mean, good gracious. I can't imagine... If Paul would say, who's bewitched you into obeying another gospel, which was going back into legalism, man, what would he have said about that? That humming is potentially a heaven or hell issue. Wow. Uh, number 14, no women. Basically, in church, a woman can't do anything. That's the way I grew up. What I understand from scholars today is that a lot of that language, when you look at the original, is cultural. And scripture even talks about you need new wineskins for a new culture. And, and in the New Testament it says there is no male or female. There is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave or free. All are one in Jesus. Well, we ignore that. Okay? Um, so, anyway, I, I believe... In this one, as in everything else, God looks at the heart of the person participating. What is the intention of their heart? And if it's love-based, if they believe it's right, if they're trying to do what God um, wants them to do, even if they miss it and do the wrong thing, they're covered. As long as they are right with Jesus, He's their Lord and Savior, they're committed, long-term, um, they're covered, all right? Doesn't mean you want to try to sin, okay? That's what Paul was addressing. If you say that, you don't really understand what grace is. Once you understand it, you won't want to sin anymore. Your have-tos will be changed into want-tos. And the things you don't want can be changed into things you desire. Once your heart shifts from fear to love, enough. We talked about that minus 10 to plus 10 percentage and that's different for everybody but once you get positive enough then you don't have to have all the effort to be kind and nice and have energy for your day and do what the Lord wants you to do it just it kind of comes naturally now almost like a person with a near-death experience who's now very positive without even trying to where before the near-death experience they were net very negative what happened their heart changed Beliefs in their heart changed, all right? They now have knowledge and experience they didn't have before. They're no longer afraid of death, and they look forward to the love and light again. Okay, so um, sing not hum, eh, no women. Th this may be the most controversial of all, okay, because there are passages that talk about women should, you know, ask their husband in quiet and things like that. But, again, I'm told that that's largely cultural. 
and that in today's culture where women are equal to men, which was not the case when this was written at all, okay, that that would have a bearing. So this one, I'm going to put a question mark, um, but it could be an eh, maybe it's also a ding, 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 I don't know, but anyway, and then I wrote this in. We don't have any in this column, okay, of the major things that we call church, but what about gossip, lying, judging, etc.? I mean, the way I grew up, man, the preacher would preach all day long on drinking and how you're going to hell and it's a sin and all that sort of stuff. Lying. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, let's leave that one out. Uh, stealing. Big one. Uh, sexually unfaithful. Huge one. Blasphemy. Cursing. Taking God's name in vain. Big one. Big one, big one. And they would preach against these things. Now, I'm not saying we should do those. I agree with a lot of the, you know, those are sins, some of them. I agree with that, okay? But you know what? I almost never heard teaching in 25 years of growing up in that environment, okay? Going to church three times a week, three times a week times 25 years that's a lot of times, okay? I almost never heard preaching and teaching on gossip, lying, or judging. If I did, it was kind of sloughed over. What's the point? Well, the point to me is while every week the sermons about what you should not do and do and about heaven and hell and all that, but then after church and during the week, man, what I would observe from those people that I sat in church with those times was gossip, lying, and judging. Now, not all the time, but a lot. And I mean, there were certain people that were absolutely known to be the biggest gossip in town. Or you can't trust anything they say. They call them white lies, but it's really just lies, and constant judging of everybody in church, everybody in town, you know, they're good, they're bad, you know, that sort of thing. Well, gossip is mentioned with murder in Scripture. Same passage. So how come we talk all day long in church about the sins but we tend to skip the ones that we do regularly. Or, from the church, elders, pastors, preacher perspective, the ones that are, the ones that are being done by people in the church that they don't want to get crossways with because they're influential to their power, they give a lot of money they're very popular, you know, etc. So this political environment in most of the churches that I've been a part of caused them to back off on a lot of the normal everyday sins while magnifying the other sins 
that by and large, there were just a few people doing rather than almost everybody there doing it. Almost everybody I knew in church did some of this. Gossip, lying, judging, and, and, and of course we never get to a place where we don't sin. But, I mean, more than just a little bit. I mean, almost what Paul was saying, oh, I've got grace, so I'm just going to do it more. Because I observed year after year after year, some people, man, this was what they did. I mean, that was their thing, and everybody knew it, and there was a number of them, not just one, okay? So, we bound, we bound where Scripture doesn't bind, and in some cases we've loosed where Scripture does not loose. Okay? Let's take a look at one other thing and then wrap it up. So, the grace state, uh, what we had on the background screen a minute ago before we started, um, the grace state is four things. Jesus, I'm right with Jesus. I'm committed to love, believe in love. My intention only for good. Do the best job every time. And prioritize and invest in relationships. Okay? But, if you're living here, okay, which is love A, if I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. And I've got to measure up to a certain percentage that I probably don't feel like I'm quite measuring up to. Okay? So, if that's the way you're living and you're being a part of this seed and root as it's grown into this huge tree with tentacles everywhere, if you're choosing to remain part of this organization, and what they have built over hundreds of years, okay, including the years of Inquisition, then instead of these four, which I believe are non-negotiable, you you'll typically see these four. So instead of a belief and commitment to love and being right with Jesus, it's about what's right and best for me, self. Number two, intention only for good. My intention is to get as much pleasure as I can and as little pain as I can. Whether sometimes I have to fudge on the good a little bit, isn't that big a deal? All right? Number three, do the best at everything I do. We're here, I'm just concerned about getting by and getting the most reward for my effort that I can possibly get. And whether that's doing my best or just barely getting by, I don't really care that much as long as I get the end result I want, which may largely be money. And then number four, instead of prioritizing relationships, and, and, and that's where my value comes from, I prioritize my circumstances and believe if I can just become independent with enough money, power, control, then I can be happy and have the life I want, as opposed to being about relationships, the inward state of the heart, not the circumstances. Okay? I, have a, I thought of a question this week as I was praying about today, and I'd like you to give it a little time 
praying and meditating this week if you can. What do you believe is God's perspective when we judge knowing that He is the judge and tells us, don't judge? How do you think God feels? How do you think God feels when we gossip knowing that he is the one that knows the whole truth and tells us not to gossip because we don't know the whole truth? How do you think God feels about us lying in order to get something or get out of something when God says the truth will make you free and point the way to love? And lying will take you to falsehood and to fear, which is what you don't want. Someone told me once that um, the height of arrogance is to disagree with God. Well, God speaks to all this stuff that we've been talking to, or doesn't speak if I believe it's left up to us, new wineskins, all right? So where God speaks and doesn't speak, are we listening? Are we going on our journey to find the whole truth? Are we committing to love, even if it means less pleasure and more pain? Okay, well, if you're thinking and living your life in a way that disagrees with stuff God says for your life, I believe that is the height of arrogance. It, that's the opposite of your will be done moment by moment. And, the th and then the last thing for today. Um, so, if, if this stuff is all up to us, and this stuff is being just sort of ignored or devalued when to God in Scripture those are important things too. How do we do it right? Well, I believe this is it. Paul was talking about all the suffering, pain, struggles they were going through, shipwrecked, beaten, no food, etc., what did he say about that? Did he complain? No. He said the love of Christ compels us. What does that mean? What does the word compel mean? That's where you get the power. That's what inspires you. That's what gives you direction. That word compel is really kind of all of that in one. The love of Christ is what compels us. The love of Christ determines our thoughts and taking every thought captive. The love of Christ determines my emotions and feelings. The love of Christ determines my actions and behavior or inaction. The love of Christ, um, when I sin, is my forgiveness. For God so loved that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. All right, well, what, 
if that's true, then what about the practical stuff? You know, I believe that's new wineskins. Okay? We're told a lot of things to do or not to do, told how to do, when to do, where to do, almost nothing. So, can you have church without all of this? Well, <laughs> that's the only way the New Testament church did it, was without all of this. There's no evidence of any of these things, except the women one, because, well, possibly because that was the culture. But none of these were, an, were done by the New Testament church, or were an issue with none of them. Okay? So it's crazy to think that we have to do it this way, and it's a mortal sin if we don't, if it's not in here at all, anywhere. It came from here, not from here. Okay? So what about all this practical stuff? You are free in Christ. That's what we talked about last week. Do it the way that it works for you. Prayerfully, okay? Do it the way that it works for you and the other people, okay? Uh, last time I was in Europe, I was um, lecturing. I was in um, Frankfurt, I believe, Frankfurt, Germany, and was doing a weekend workshop on Saturday and Sunday. And I met a couple the first day who um, came up to me at a break. And, and these workshops are not... Um, Bible-based, or haven't been up to this point, okay? It's just about uh, how, to, it's about emotional well-being, how to fix whatever you need to in order to have emotional well-being, which is kind of what I call spirituality, love, joy, peace, etc. But anyway, they come up to me to break and said, hey, I understand uh, you're a Christian, and then they corrected themselves. No, 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 I, I, know, I, I know you say you don't call yourself a Christian, but a follower of Jesus, um, could you tell me more about that? Okay, so on a break, we went back in a back room and I shared the Lord with them from my heart, uh, a number of scriptures, um, uh, a little bit of this stuff maybe, but um, mostly just Jesus and it being about love, not fear, and the miracle plan of love and uh, these four steps and etc. Well, um, I led them to the Lord right then and there, and I've kept in touch with them since. And they are committed. They are now believers, actively worshiping, loving, and being a part of the kingdom and the church. All right. So, do they do all this stuff? Uh, no. They do it their way, and with some others there in Europe that are doing it their way, all right? So are they going to hell because they're not doing this? I don't see how, because Scripture never says to do it this way. Almost all of that came from here. So can I do church with just me and hope, wherever two or more are gathered, I am there with them, okay? Um, do you think you would look forward to church more if you knew it's getting together with 10, 12, 4, 
20 really close friends of yours who you've got their back, they've got yours, you've talked about your um, heart junk and struggles and successes and they have too. Uh, you've, different ones have had situations of need and y'all have all tried to help with that and that sort of thing, okay? Um, yeah, I absolutely believe you, you can do that, okay? Uh, can you can you worship? Can you have church with one person? It says wherever two or more are gathered, yeah, I do. I believe that's possible too. If I'm by myself, but I am worshiping God, which I can choose to do anytime, anywhere, all right, I absolutely believe he is there, all right? The mystery of the ages, Jesus and I are one. He's, seated with, he's here with me. I'm seated with him in the heavenlies. Body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is all and in all. Am I part of all? Yeah, I think I am. So I think if it's one person, maybe, maybe yeah, it, it would not count as church if they're not worshiping. But if they're worshiping, maybe it would. I don't know. That, that Scripture doesn't speak to that. It just says we're two or more. But there's all sorts of instances with David, Solomon, uh, you know, all over Scripture of one person alone also communing with God, okay? So, but maybe that's more the kingdom where with another human being person, even if it's just one other one, is more external church, okay? But the point is, the point is, I believe God leaves it largely up to us. So, um, I would echo what Paul said in that do not let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery again by going back to the old law. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Who has bewitched you, tricked you into believing another gospel, the old law? Okay, and then... We've also talked about this, but the example of Corinthians where the church is about to split over meat sacrifice to idols, the observance of holy days, and circumcision, which aren't even up here, but could be, okay? Paul comes in, he says, do whatever you want. As long as you don't make a, a, a weaker brother stumble, do whatever you want. Keep the holy days or don't. Be circumcised or don't. But the one thing you have to do is love and accept each other as brothers and sisters. And then Jesus asked, is there a greatest commandment? Yes, love and love. <laughs> he was asked about one. He gave them two, love and love. And then he says, against such there is no law. If you do this, you've, you've kept the whole law. Why? How can that be if I haven't done it? Because this isn't, this is love A. What Jesus came to bring was love B, which is the love of Christ compels us. So, are you living love A? Keeping your list, getting your gold stars and, and X marks and all that and your percentages and judging and gossiping and who knows what other stuff. Or does the love of Christ compel you? Now, what if the love of Christ compels you to do this 
because this is what you're most comfortable with. I think in that situation, it'd be fine. Any, anything the Holy Spirit leads you to do, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you to all truth. Anything the Holy Spirit leads you to do is okay to do. So if the love of Christ compels you to do this because it, it works in your area, you're comfortable with it, okay, great. But if someone else, member or not, says, hey, I know you've said no humming, but I really love to hum. Would you guys please have a meeting and see if, it, if you'll let me hum? Okay, even though you're okay with this, I believe you've got to yield that to God. You've got to yield that to the Holy Spirit. Scripture doesn't speak to that. You can't bind where Scripture doesn't bind. So I believe in that situation. Oh, okay, well, yeah. If you pray about it and you feel better about humming, you're free, to, you're free in Christ to do that, okay? Or whatever. Now, not, not the things that are sins. Those are wrong. They're always wrong. But it doesn't mean you're lost. That They're already paid for. It's just that we need to realize these things hurt Jesus. Okay? Because he took every sin to the cross. whether phys And illness and disease. He bore all our sickness and infirmities to the cross. Okay? So he bore these too. So you're supposed to realize those are not the love path. Those hurt Jesus. Those hurt other believers. Those, those are not healthy or good for anybody. And probably a lot of the time it's not even true because I don't know what the truth is. I'm just looking at behavior. I don't know intention. Okay? So... This is where I'm ending it this week. Is the love of Christ compelling you in your life? Or are you completely or largely or to some degree still living here feeling like all these things that we've called church for the last 1,700 years are mandated and non-negotiable and heaven or hell issues? Which is it? Are you here? Are you here? Well, if you're anywhere, doesn't matter where you are, if you're anywhere except here, then chances are you're on the low road. And your four steps is not Jesus' love, intention, always for good, do my best, value relationships, if this is not where you are, then your four will tend to be self, pleasure, pain, money, and, and get what I need, and have circumstances so that I can be independent and do whatever I want when I want. That's what tends to come if you're not compelled by the love of Christ, but compelled by something else. Another one of my favorite preachers said, about all I can do is choose who's, who is going to get me. Either the Lord or Satan is going to get me. For sure. About all I'm strong enough to do is decide who's going to get me. Okay? Well, if I choose Jesus 
then the love of Christ compels me. And I can do this and even do it sometimes effortlessly. If fear and selfishness is compelling me and the lies of Satan, then I'll tend to see these as the four steps to get what I want in my life. Okay? So, do's and don'ts. Is that how you're living your life? To-do list, spiritual to-do list, whatever. And from this root, or the love of Christ, and this root. Thanks so very much. Have a wonderful, blessed day.